Well, amen. Good morning, everyone. So glad that you could be here with us this morning. Uh, we are continuing on, working our way through the book of Romans, and we are in Romans 8, and this morning I will be looking at verses 5 through 8. You'll find that on page 944 if you're utilizing a pew Bible. This is Romans 8, 5 through 8. This is God's holy and inerrant word, so let's give careful attention to it, God's word. There is therefore now no condemnation for those, oh, by the way, I'm reading verses 1 through 9 for context. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, our text. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Our gracious heavenly father, as we now come and sit at your feet to hear your word, we ask that you would open our hearts, open our eyes, illumine us by the power of your spirit so we would know that which you would have us to know so that we would grow in the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and so we would be equipped to do those things that you've called us to all to the praise of your glory. We pray that these things in Jesus' name, amen. Many of you have heard my testimony of how I came to faith when I was 20 years old on board the U.S. Navy ship in the Mediterranean Sea and how I all knew almost nothing about the Bible. That was 1985. Well, it was well before that in 1969 that God taught me one of the primary ways that he has chosen to reveal himself to man and a key principle that helps us to understand the world we live in. And you know how he did that? Through a children's television program. You had this little Muppet who would stand close to the camera and say, near? And then he would run away from the camera, turn around and say, far. And then you had others who would say things like, tall? short. <laughs> and that's how God used Sesame Street and Grover to teach me that he created a binary system to reveal truths about himself and the world we live in for his glory and for his purpose. The reason we know hot is because we know cold. The reason we know light is because we know darkness, life, death, and so on and so forth. A binary system. Now before then, I turn to our text and apply what I've just shared. I also want 
to point out a key fact that should be apparent to all of us. This so as it relates to the items in a binary system. And it's this. The items being compared and contrasted each have their own characteristics that are mutually exclusive one to the other. And that's why you're able to compare and contrast them and thereby learn that which is necessary to understand a thing or issue that is in focus. A quick illustration of this is being on an airplane. The short person sits down and, and can stretch his legs and, and lay back and, and be as comfortable as can be. But then when he, it's time to get up to disembark, he now must stretch all the way to this, the, the storage bin. And sometimes he has to help, uh, ask someone to help him rather because he can't quite reach. Now, the tall person who's been squunched up the entire time because his legs are too big to be in an airplane, he now gets up and he just easily grabs the stuff that's in the storage bin and goes on his way, you see. Now, the person, in this example, the short person will never comfortably get his bag, and the tall person will never comfortably fit in coach or second-class seating. Those things are mutually exclusive to both parties, and those distinctions are clear to us. Well, here in our passage, the Apostle Paul, after having encouraged us with the wonderful news that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, because God has done by and through Jesus Christ, that which we were unable to do by ourselves, that is fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. After encouraging us with that news, this news, he begins or as I would now argue, after studying further, continues to take us down the road of describing who we are, believers, by also describing that which we're not, an unbeliever, the characteristics of both. And the reason I would make the argument that he's continuing on with the use of binaries, as even though he introduced it maybe in shadow form, is because his opening statement in verse 1 says... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This necessarily implies something for those who are not in Christ Jesus. And then when you get to verse 9, which Pastor Caleb would cover next week, you literally hear the close of two bookends. Verse 1, you're not condemned, and therefore you're not in the other. Then verse 9, you're not in the flesh. Those are bookends to what we're looking at in this binary situation that I'm talking about. So now with those preliminary thoughts in mind, I would say to you that between verses 5 and 8, Paul wants us to see or understand at least three things about those who truly believe and those who do not. Those who belong to God and those who do not. First, they have two different mindsets. Second, they have two different destinies. And third, they have two different dispositions. So first, they have two different mindset. Look at verse five. It says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. That is the fallen human nature, the nature that is separated from God. But those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. 
Here we should note that the phrase according to refers to a person's basic spiritual nature. It is referring to the very essence of who they are. And so here you, you have one who is according to the flesh or unsaved. That is their nature. And one who is according to the spirit. The latter person's nature has been changed by the power of the spirit. They have been regenerated and now have the spirit of God residing, living, dwelling in them. You see that in verse 9, which again says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. The spirit of God dwells in every single person that belongs to Christ. So Paul says that those who are unsaved will have their mind set on the things of this world, the worldly passions available to them, the satisfaction of their own appetites that contrast with those who are saved. They, Paul assert, will be concerned about godly things. The words or phrase set their minds here refers to one's basic orientation Again, one's bent nature and the thought patterns of one's mind, it does not refer to just the mind itself or one's intellect, but the very essence of their personhood. They're saved. The saved and unsaved both do what they do because it is indicative of who they are. Dean, I hear you. But are you aware that there are people who do not believe in Christ, yet they're morally superior to some who call themselves Christian? To that question, I answer that none of us were born with the ability to please God. All of us were born sinners, justly deserving God's wrath. The testimony of Scripture is that all of our righteous deeds are filthy rags, and man judges by externals, but God sees the heart. So yes, it might appear that some who do not have God's spirit are morally upright, while some who do have his spirit are not. But the testimony of scripture is that those who are in Christ are being changed from glory to glory, while those who are not in him are doing what are, is self-gratifying their, their own self, are doing things for self-gratifying reasons. That is, their minds are far removed from God being the primary motivator and enabler. And that's exactly how any one of us who are in Christ would be if it were not for the grace of God regenerating us, giving us new minds, new hearts, hearts of flesh. If not for that grace and those mercies that are renewed each and every day, every single one of us would be that way. So the second thing, moving on, Paul wants us to see here is that there are two different destinies. Look at verse 6. It reads, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Here at first glance, it seems that this text is saying what Paul says in Galatians 5.16, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But then when one looks closer, especially at the original text, one realizes that the words to set and on are not in the original text. Thus, it can literally be read for the mind flesh 
or in our English word order, the fleshly mind or the mind that has not been changed by the sanctifying work of the spirit. It is synonymous with being an unbeliever and the nature and end of that state of existence is death. That is spiritual death, eternal separation from God, from the God who created them. That is the fate, that is the unbeliever's state and their destiny. Paul contrasts that with the believer's destiny writing. But to set the mind on the spirit is life on, and peace. Commenting on this verse, James Boyce, James Montgomery Voice wrote, It is the opposite of death which describes the non-Christian. The Christian is a person who has been made alive by God's spirit. Spiritual matters make sense to him now. Before he was dead in his sins, he had a dead nature, but he's now been brought alive. Now he is alive to a whole new world of reality. He has a new destiny, and he is at peace, peace with himself as he never was before, and above all, he is at peace with God. And that takes us to our final point. They have two different dispositions. I would argue that this is closely related to our first point. Look at verse 8 and 9. They read, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul says that the mind of an unbeliever is hostile to God. All of us were that way. Don't believe me? Listen to what Paul tells the saints in Colossians 1.21. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. God was our enemy. In Proverbs, it says that God is angry with the wicked every day. God was our enemy. The world and its passions were our greatest delight. But listen to what James says in James 4.4 about that. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. But the God who we were enemies with drew us to himself even while we were yet sinners Christ died for us, regenerated us, and gave us a heart and a mind to know him and to be like him. And so now we are no longer enemies of God. There's no enmity between those who belong to God. We're, there's no hostility. We belong to him, and now we have the peace, not just the peace of God, but the peace in terms of not being at war with God. Again, this says that the person makes himself, the unbeliever, makes himself an enemy of God. But beyond this context, the reality, again, is Adam and Eve accepted or was born. All of us except Adam and Eve were born an enemy of God, wanting nothing to do with him, wanting what we want, more than wanting God or anything related to him. We couldn't live righteously because we didn't have a godly nature or any godly resource within us. 
Again, if anyone does not have the spirit, he does not belong to Christ, we're told right here in this chapter. We didn't have what it took to please God. And what is the evidence of that disposition? Paul says that that person, again, we're talking about the unbeliever, that person does not submit to God's law. And then he speaks emphatically saying, indeed, it or they cannot. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, he says it this way, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The unbelieving mind, again, is hostile to God and will not submit to his law because it cannot. Paul, again, emphatically makes that point, saying, those who are in the flesh, that is, those whose natures have not been changed by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, those who have not experienced the grace of God and those mercies that are renewed each and every morning, they cannot please God. Folk, there's a sad reality associated with that fact. You see, it was for this very purpose that man was created, to please God. We were created to please God. Our Westminster Confession articulates this fact as we were created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And now we, we know this to be so, but something went horribly wrong. We were created to please God, all mankind, but something went horribly wrong. Paul tells us what happened in Romans 5.12. He wrote, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. And just in case we, we didn't quite hear or read that verse and thus think there is a seed of righteousness in us that commends us to God, he tells us in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. And again in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. One thing we should have picked up by now, after hearing these last couple of verses and everything else we've heard this morning, is that there are only two categories of people on earth, believers and unbelievers. There is no third category as some used to heavily assert, labeling that third category carnal Christian. There's only two, and here Paul highlights that fact and calls us to live in the light and knowledge of the truth. So at this point, in considering what I just shared, I'd like to bring to your attention, bring your attention to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 13.5. He says this, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. See, no one can tell you who you are in Christ or where you are. Only you know the answer to that question. All of us sin, but only you know if you relish, enjoy, and have no spirit-induced guilt as a result of your sin. Only you know if your nature is such that you're grieved by your sin, a sign 
that your mind is set on pleasing God. Evidence that you belong to him. Only you know which one of these dispositions best describe you. And so to the one whose mind is set on the flesh, I say to you, God is merciful. And it is by those mercies that his grace is poured out upon all those who by faith call upon his name. So call out to him. And hear these words from Isaiah 49, quoted by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 6. In a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. In Hebrews 3.15, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Brothers and sisters, to the one whose mind is set on the things of the spirit, you're not perfect, I'm not perfect, none of us are perfect, but we belong to Christ. And our minds are set on the things of the spirit. I say to you, press on. Remember Paul's word in 1 Corinthians 6, 11. You were washed after recounting the things that we used to be involved in, the way our minds were, the things that had us in bondage. After recounting those things, he says, you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And as in, in light of that, I say, and because you experienced those things, there is now no condemnation in the forecast for you. But what remains is for you to live in the light of who you are and whose you are, all to the praise of his glory. Live out the mantle and bind the refound in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, when it talks about the man who is blessed because he meditates on the word of God day and night. He does not engage in being counseled by the ungodly, no stands in the way of the sinner, no seats in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in it he meditates day and night. And then the binary, the wicked are not so. And again, I say to you, if you have not professed Christ, do not harden your heart as you've heard what you've heard this morning. But consider the goodness of the God, our God and his graciousness and those mercies that he is extending to you and call upon his name. Two people, and I pray that all of us would continue being, consider being with God, walking with him in the light of his word and in the knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for calling our attention uh, to this text. We pray, Lord, that by your mercies you would grab hold of any among us who have not professed you, that you would extend your mercies towards them, the grace that is so sufficient, and that you would grab hold of them and change them and make them your own. Father, we thank you for those of us who are called by your name. We know that it was nothing that we did to commend ourselves to you, and so our hearts are filled with gratitude for the mere fact 
that you gave us your son. And if you have not done anything else, that would have been more than our minds could even begin to think or imagine. And so thank you, dear Lord. And we pray now that you would bless the works, that the words that have been spoken here and allow them not to return void, but to work in each and one of our hearts, mold us into your image, into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, all to the praise of your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.